Michael Clancy with EcoPoint Inc. Outstanding. Thank you for joining the program here today. EcoPoint Inc. Boy, I'd love to guess what some companies do sometimes, and I'm thinking EcoPoint. You guys are a point of the ecology, aren't you? Or what's the name all about? How's that, Michael? Yeah, so the name is kind of focused in our roots, which is ecological information and combining that with geospatial information. So ecological information, describe that a little bit for our listeners. So we really focus on restoration and plant ecology and trying to maximize the the dollars that are spent and the reclamation efforts that are conducted uh, on behalf of the industry. I was going to mention you sound like you guys come in handy with reclamation when it comes to the oil and gas industry. I imagine, I, I don't know if there's any front-end part that's done on, you know, going out and surveying the land or anything like that, but talk to me a little bit about the process that's involved from beginning to end because so many oil companies, you know, they they want to harvest what's there, but their end goal is to actually leave the place better than when they got there. At least that's that's what I've seen a lot of times. Talk to me a little bit about the process. Yeah, well... You know, I, I think you're completely right that, you know, often we find these well pads that have been gone through the final abandonment stages and have been fully reclaimed uh, you know, following best practices actually ecologically are more productive and uh, in better shape than, than when we showed up. Um, so, you know, walking through the initial kind of planning and permitting phases uh, it's a really important part for our customers and the industry as a whole to kind of do an initial site survey, understand what the ecological condition of the well pad is and what it is doing before uh, we come in and actually build the well pad. So we'll conduct a pre-construction evaluation of the site and, you know, uh, collect uh, important pieces of information like soil, topsoil depth, um, soil health, erosion characteristics, plant communities, and just generally other ecological functions like proximity to uh, sensitive areas or wildlife habitat and kind of categorize the site before the construction occurs. Um, then as construction occurs, they'll use that information to ensure they're mitigating any impacts that they have. Um, the industry has gotten actually really good at understanding limitations uh, that are in place because of these ecological considerations. So how much topsoil they need to strip, what the soil handling needs to look like. I'd argue uh, the oil and gas industry is the best at uh, these uh, these construction techniques that mitigate the impact that they have of of any uh, development focused industry out there. So they'll come in, handle the topsoil, do all the uh, existing site mitigation that's required during the construction process, and then once the initial construction is done and we're reaching initial flowback dates, then 
uh, will initiate what's called the interim reclamation process. And that interim reclamation process is just really stabilizing the initial larger footprint that was required for the development of the pad. Once that's been completed, uh, then we enter that full initial reclamation kind of monitoring phase where, you know, we're making sure the site's not being uh, overtaken by weeds or uh, erosion features aren't a big concern. You know, we're avoiding any uh, potential issues to groundwater or surface water that can come along with these developments. And so we'll kind of implement a monitoring program that just ensures everyone is consistent and safe with with their uh, operation of that pad throughout its life cycle. Um, once those pads reach the, the end of their life cycle and we are ready to come in and plug and abandon it, we'll come back out, we'll access the information that we've been gathering over the 20 to 40 years life cycle of that pad, uh, maybe shorter in some locations, and actually take that information combined with the initial pre-disturbance monitoring that occurred prior to construction and come in, recontour, reshape, claim that well pad back to an initial existing state, and then move into a uh, uh, final reclamation procedure where we'll bring back in the target species that were uh, identified during that pre-disturbance or post-disturbance in some some cases. Uh, seed in with a good seed mix, make sure our soil health is up to where it needs to be. And then we'll, we'll monitor and make sure that location meets uh, the appropriate adjacent or pre-disturbance cover criteria. Uh, as set by whoever the regulating authority is that monitors and controls that uh, in that specific area. One of the things that I've noticed covering the oil and gas industry for about 10 years now is how they have created a very proactive culture from what it was, at least when I grew up, reading about it and understanding and being told what the industry was. What I mean by that is having, you know... The, People like yourself or even archaeologists go out there and survey the site ahead of time. That's a proactive approach, you know, and then you layer in some regulations and a few other things. Um, I, I understand what you mean by when you said they're probably the, or you would argue they're the number one industry when it comes to reclamation and when it comes to, you know, being a good Boy Scout or Girl Scout, leaving the land better than when you found it. How much of that do you do? You, do you guys kind of, talk about i guess because that was a pretty bold statement there about uh you know you that they're they're probably the best that there is an industry to do that um talk to me a little bit more about that yeah well you know i've i've been involved in reclamation in the oil and gas industry my entire career um i grew up with it in western colorado uh you know during the late 90s early 2000s um you know, the industry during that time became really aware of the need to mitigate the impact and mitigate the effort, uh, the disturbance that's caused by, by the construction of these, you know, critical infrastructure pieces that, that they require and that, you know, our nation requires. And so they put a lot of effort into 
understanding best practices, understanding uh, what they needed to do to ensure a successful reclamation, whether that was the interim or if that was the uh, post-final abandonment reclamation. Um, I would say one of the, the greatest and most interesting things that has come out of reclamation in the industry is the the work that's been done in concert with academia. Um, you know, there's a lot of universities and a lot of individuals and a lot of organizations that are partnering to further the science of reclamation. Uh, we've spent so much energy, time, and money on furthering the industry, um, thanks to oil and gas, that we're now at a point where we're able to achieve reclamation success in a, a rapid manner and an effective manner and, and do these things with the minimal amount of impact to the wildlife or habitat that can, can possibly be done. Um, you know, the University of Wyoming has contributed greatly to the scientific progress there. Uh, there's there's some research and some development going on there for a variety of things, um, from new innovative monitoring techniques to advanced uh, reclamation procedures. You know, even uh, CSU and Colorado State, uh, they've they've been doing some really interesting things. And when you really start looking into this, you'll see industry's dedication to it they've funded a lot of this research they've performed a lot of on-the-ground trials collected good sound quantitative quantitative and statistically valid data to ensure that look this this work we're doing is the best work that we can do and the most effective um, you know one of the things that's unique about the oil and gas industry is its desire for technological advancement um, that doesn't just stop with the ability to extract the resource uh, it it also extends into reclaiming the land or you know even bettering the ecological function of specific regions um, i've seen industry come into to areas even here on the western slope and put large sums of money and large amounts of effort behind restoration and habitat improvement for uh, mitigation for their their work with groups like uh, the Muley Foundation, um, uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Uh, there's been a lot of a lot of focus, a lot of energy and a lot of uh, resources dedicated to uh, the improvement of those lands that otherwise wouldn't be done um, you know these are these are areas where the industry is successful and has a reason to be there um, and they're now putting a lot of money and a lot of effort into it that otherwise there there just wouldn't be the money there and the the energy and the the effort to to really understand this stuff. Gentleman made a comment last week on the program talking about how it seems that in the 
wildlife world, the hunters are the ones that make the most investment and seem to put the most assistance to preserving the wildlife and different areas to make sure that there's always a place for the wildlife to grow. Your comment about the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and some of that reminded me of the oil and gas industry seems to be the leaders when it comes to reclamation and being an environmentalist this day, these days. Just like how, you know, ironically, the hunters seem to be in the wildlife area. What do you, what do you make of that ironic comment that it seems the oil and gas industry appears to be the leader in environmental movement these days? You know, I, uh, I couldn't agree more with that comment. Um, you know, it's just a matter of fact that the amount of conservation dollars spent uh, in the United States globally, in fact, are majority of those dollars come from hunters. Um, you know, that's that's a just a cold, hard reality that we have to face. You know, there are some federal programs out there that exist that contribute significantly, but hunters do a lot to enhance that um you know i think that goes hand in hand with what the industry is doing you know these guys are out here every day um they enjoy where they work they're you know people just like the rest of us and everybody is interested in preserving and conserving the habitat that they have and there is a lot of money and a lot of effort being put forth into into that conservation. Um, there's a, a unique study going on in the Pinedale field office right now. Uh, it's actually being conducted by the University of Wyoming, and it's talking about sage-grouse habitat improvement as a result of oil and gas development, um, and particularly the development of early uh, annual species, early seral species that provide food and resources for insects and uh, critical um, early food sources for sage grouse and in the industry or in the the area there, Um, you know, good pollinating plants that attract a lot of pollinators and provide you know, a wide variety of food sources for uh, sage-grouse and additional species that we never thought would be a, a reality um, when when the Pinedale Field Office first started some of their reclamations or the Jonah Field started some of their reclamation requirements. We saw a lot of disturbance and we tried to understand what that was we now are so far along that we're understanding there are there's most certainly uh, complications and issues that are derived from oil and gas development but there are additionally a lot of benefits uh, that we can bring into the ecosystem and so you know the industry as a whole has really found that we can come into areas that you know have undergone extensive previous livestock grazing or land degradation due to invasive species and the industry will come in and make a a really big impact by trying to mitigate that disturbance that previous disturbance or their disturbance and actually enhance that function Um, there 
in some cases, like you said, they're mandated to do that. In other cases, these the these folks are partnering with agencies and nonprofits to to further this uh, these efforts. Just uh, last month, we co-hosted a reclamation um, pub talk with the Society for Ecological Restoration with High Point Resources in Greeley, Colorado. And it was a great, unique blend of of people and a lot of like-minded people that otherwise might have seemed at odds with each other, but coming together and, uh, you know, enjoying a, a couple beers as well as talking about reclamation and success and different projects and challenges that that we face as a you know as american citizens in the in the intermountain west we're all interested in it and you know the ability of industry to partner with groups like the society for ecological restoration just really shows their commitment to furthering these efforts how's everything going in colorado um just kind of an update from there. You're in uh, Rifle, Grand Junction, Frutia area. The Western Slope is what I think you called it. Um, I, f- I forgot that's what you guys call it out there. Uh, talk to me just what's, ha- what's happening out there. You know, you got the governor. He actually said the words war on oil and gas. Um, he kind of did that, um, w- you know, the ban, I guess, is what the media is, is calling it, uh, you know, the... Um, Setback is, I guess, is, is the correct terminology. But uh, you, you understand what I'm talking about. Is it, do, do you have any sort of anecdotal update? What's going on out there? Um, yeah, well, so SB 181 um, was kind of the, the latest attack and the latest uh, move against the industry. You know, uh, the popular vote de- defeated the Proposition 112, which was effectively a, a very similar bill um, during the election. Um, and uh, as soon as that was complete uh, and, and had lost, next thing we knew, there was uh, some new legislation that wasn't put to popular vote and um, was just passed by the Senate. And 181 is, uh, it's been an interesting ride. You know, a lot of a lot of it is settling down right now, and people are really figuring out what's what's going on with the bill and what the impacts are, and what kind of work we need to do to ensure that we continue to get permits and we're able to continue to to develop. Um, you know, uh, on the western slope, we're a little slower right now. Uh, just just by the nature of, of these resources here. Uh, people are still permitting, still building. Uh, we actually conducted a, a surveying project, a mapping project for uh, a large a large company over here last week that they're planning on building some roads and a couple of new pads and pursuing their, their permits with that work. Um, you know, over on the front range, I think Weld County's kind of standing out. Uh, SB 181 was really slated as a local control for uh, counties, local governments, and Weld County is just 
uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, came out and said, all right, well, we'll, we'll take that on. They've come out with draft rules and they've come out with their intentions to actually uh, put in place an oil and gas uh, department for the permitting process. And they've really said, hey, you know, we'll, you, if this is what you guys are saying, we're going to go in, we're going to take it, and we're going to stand up kind of our own regulatory division and try to help the industry get some uh, some permits and get some, some work moving forward here. You know, I think uh, it was kind of a, a, you know, we were riding high from the defeat of the Proposition 112, and then 181 just came in, snuck in there, and uh, got ramrodded through the the Senate and passed really quickly, um, signed into law, and we didn't have a whole lot of time to to prepare or or fight for that. It kind of caught us off guard. Um, But I think now everybody's kind of getting a little more comfortable. You know, once the regulatory agencies figure out what exactly the impacts of those bills are going to be or that bill is going to be um you know we'll know a little more but you know we're uh, we're resilient um and at this point we're gonna just keep keep moving forward um hopefully we'll move from a, a point of defense to a point of offense pretty quickly here and really start working to you know, get ahead of, of those kind of challenges in the future, as well as protect our opportunity going forward with existing permits or some of the, the uh, regulatory obligations that we're now facing. We've been working really closely with several customers to try to understand the, the reality of some of these rules um, and how impactful they, they really are. Um, you know, we're, we've been struggling to get anything permitted since the bill passed, um, but we are we're fighting forward. Uh, just today, we were working on a couple, so we're we're moving forward. I think everybody's just trying to trying to stay optimistic and see see where we need to go from here. One of the reasons why Michael Clancy on the line with us with EcoPoint. One of the reasons I asked you about it is we've been following this template for a little while now because I believe, and you can go back and listen to my interviews for the last five years, we call it the uh, rise of environmentalism, the cult of environmentalism. And I watched it happen through a number of different things. And then when it happened through Colorado, I noticed a template. Well, then we had Ray Scott on the program. Uh, he's a legislator out in your, your neck of the woods. And he taught from Grand Junction. He talked about uh, the Colorado Blueprint, I think was the name of it. It was a book that was kind of written. So that validated. And then Oregon, of course, has passed it through the Senate. Wyoming has a similar ban with the BLM. Um, you grew up in the industry and you grew up in that Western Slope area. And that's pretty much, like I say, from Rifle to Frutia to um, Grand Junction, that's that's oil and gas country out there. From my understanding, I've been out there, and from what I hear, is that an accurate statement? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I mean, you, you guys are getting the pitchforks ready to go already, and you guys are using them to you know write new regulations out. So that's how 
much of oil and gas country it is. But at the same time, when you look at where the populations are, same things in Texas, same things in North Dakota, number one and number two oil and gas producing states in the nation. The universities and a lot of the larger cities are outnumbering the growth of the oil and gas communities. And, you know, with Austin and Dallas and out in um, North Dakota, you got Fargo and Grand Forks. So when I see this kind of this rise of environmentalism and the template of, you know, using emotion and that sort of thing, it, it led me to believe that the oil and gas industry needs to really reinvent how they approach things and how they engage with people and and that sort of thing. Talk to me a little bit about what your thoughts are about, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, going to these socials, that sort of thing. That's important. But I think we're at a stage where the oil and gas industry needs to start engaging with the non-oil and gas communities and industries a little bit to, I don't know, it just seems like there's a lot more regulation coming from outside the oil and gas communities these days than within. And it's a it's there, there's no right or wrong answer yeah. on this. It's more of just a, you know, you grew up in the industry and, and you're in the industry. You're seeing it happen firsthand right before your eyes to where your governor calls it a war on oil and gas. And I'm looking at it yeah. like, when the heck did the light switch get political? I mean, when did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, talk to me a little bit about that, if, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, you know, I, I think you, you, you've nailed the exact problem. You know, it's uh, uh, Colorado. You hear the the state of Boulder uh, bantered about pretty frequently. I think the reality is that you know, with the urbanization of America, with the population centers of these large urban densities developing so quickly, that people are more disconnected with the land. Um, they don't understand. Uh, where they're where they're at in relationship to the land or the land's relationship to them i think there's a an unfortunate uh reality that you know we cherry pick a lot of the science uh that just advocates for our particular point of view um and you see that with you know, the, the Republic of, of Boulder, as it's called, uh, here in Colorado, where, you know, these folks, they, they like to see the mountains or they, you know, they've come out here for school or they've grown up in these large urban centers and they don't understand what it's like to live in a rural area, um, what it's like to uh, really experience the land and the interaction of the industry with with your area. And they they feel like they're they're on a higher plane or a different level than the folks that are in the industry that are experiencing this stuff that you know live it day to day um i you know we're seeing consistent scientific studies at this point that are refuting a lot of the claims or a lot of the issues that have been uh you know, kind of the the backstop for some of this rise in environmentalism, uh, and I think ultimately the efforts that the industry is putting forth right now with their intentions for oil uh, for understanding their impact on the land, for mitigating 
any of their issues with air, water, or soil, um, that, you know, we're now getting to a point where you can't just easily refute or point the, the finger uh, in a in a scientific way at the industry anymore. Um, you know, there was just so much bias information coming out that wasn't, uh, it wasn't a sound, it wasn't on a sound scientific standing. And now here we are, uh, in 2019 and we're seeing a lot of this, this information or, uh, this, these historic scientific data sets, just proving proving wrong or they were ultimately driven by some form of a bias. Um, you know, I think we've seen that here in Colorado a lot more uh, recently and a lot more prevalently, but it's that bias has been around for, for quite some time. And ultimately I think those kind of arguments are, they're going to show their true colors, um, you know, with all the progress that's being made from the industry's side, um, people will really be hard pressed to continue to just blindly throw throw rocks at, at industry without really understanding the impacts of stuff um, or how these communities and people uh, that work and live in the industry or in these areas really do understand and really do have a commitment to engaging effectively and appropriately with the regulations or our moral obligations or uh, any of our efforts to to do what we need to, to, like you said, keep the light switch on. Well, one of the things we've done is we've been, we've sponsored an environmentalist actually who believes that the oil and gas industry is leading the planet and saving the, the earth. Um, he believes the cell phones are the number one pollutant, not fossil fuels. And we love his message because he's not trying to ban fossil fuels. He's trying to just tell people it's a all the above field and we need to focus on where the positives and what keeps the lights on for us and also shift the conversation to cell phones are the number one polluter on the planet and we're not going to get rid of them we already know that we already know that and so it's interesting he was in minnesota the johnny green and he won he won the the tournament he's got a belt and everything so he was in minnesota he ended up in a fourth of july parade and he's cleaning lakes in minnesota engaging with kids he's making the industry fun again and what I've seen happen in the last 10 years is I've seen, we'll say millennials, they'll come into the, the, the industry, and I feel bad for the millennials. They, they, grow, they, they grew up in an environment of extremism to where everything is the worst and everything is the best. And then, you gotta, then, you, then they got to go out into the world and figure it out for themselves, and then they get picked on because they're entitled and everything else. No wonder they, they, they have such a... Um, backlash going right now against everybody else because they're being told who they are and they're still trying to figure it out for themselves are you you're a millennial aren't you uh just on the on the cusp of one I yeah won't claim to it, yeah you're kind of a gen x millennial you're right in the middle there yeah. okay but yeah. and and i'm again here here i am blanketing statements but after a 
watching this, um, the majority of the millennials, you know, like everybody else, hey, they are, every, most people are good people. Then they go out into the pl- world and they try to figure things out for themselves. And and then you got everybody telling them who they are and they're not and this and that. And it's a confusing time. What I've seen from millennials in the oil and gas industry, they go into the industry and they have a predetermined mindset of what the industry is like and it's not on the positive side it is more of a dirty and you know let's ban it type thing and then within a very short period of time it completely switches and they're their biggest cheerleaders i've seen it time and time again and that's what i think the industry should do more of and i don't know what the answer is and that's why we're i I, like i said we're sponsoring johnny green and we've got um uh, local musicians for our bumper music so that way we can musicians promoting us instead of protesting us. And just, I, I kind of would like to know your thoughts on just some new ideas for, because listen, the horizontal flushing has reinvented oil and gas. I've got John Gibson, Harold Ham, and James Volker from uh, Continental Whiting and um, One Oak saying that all this new technology has paradigm shifted, changed the industry. Talk to anybody in HR or engineering for that matter, what you guys do. And, and with EcoPoint, the, the big data has completely changed your guys' industry and drones and all that other stuff. So that industry had to be reinvented. In the media, we had to do things differently. So we found somebody who's an environmentalist who supports the oil and gas industry and for everything it stands for. We've engaged with musicians. So we're, we're doing our little part type of a thing. Well, I'd like to know your opinion as somebody from the industry on what we're doing and maybe what, you know, if the oil and gas industry, same old, same old, or if we need to start thinking outside the box and trying some things that are fun and engaging and that sort of thing. Yeah. um, You know, ultimately when it's a big problem that you're talking about here. Okay, good, um, because yeah, I, I, did, I didn't want to turn a mountain into a molehill, but at the same time, when we got two presidential candidates talking about banning our industry and the new Green Deal, somebody's got to step up and say something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is. It's a, it's a big issue. Um, you know, it's kind of red, red riding hood syndrome here. Um, you know, people making, making it out making out the industry to be the big bad wolf. Um, I think really spreading and understanding the idea of, uh, what we, uh, of who we are and what we do and what we stand for is really important. Um, you know, and I, I think that starts locally. I think that starts with, uh, uh, reaching out and, and partnering with organizations like you've, Johnny Green, you guys have partnered with, you know, uh, us and High Point Resources, uh, partnering with the Society for Ecological Restoration. I know that um, a lot of a lot of industry has part- partnered with academia and really tried to dr- drive that forward. Um, you know, it's a it's a big industry. It's an important industry, so it has a lot of attention to it. Um, you know, my my work at EcoPoint has been spun out of uh, out of the geospatial world, and you know, doing a lot of drone mapping, a lot of technology, uh, a lot of mapping work, um, and we're doing innovative, interesting things um, that 
as the society shifts towards the technology, uh, you know, with consumerization of IT, as I like to call it, with cell phones, like you mentioned earlier, you know, people understanding that the industry's there, it's on the forefront on a technological basis. It's there on an ecological basis. It's there on a production basis. You know, we're really on the front edge of a lot of things. Um, I've done a, a lot of work with uh, Doug Dennison from High Point Resources. Uh, he's the director of community affairs over there. And he has sponsored and done more for the industry here in Colorado than a whole lot of people. Um, you know, we're going to be here. Another good example of partnering with an organization is this September, we're partnering with the Colorado Youth Outdoors Organization in Fort Collins. Um, and we're going to be hosting a, another reclamation targeted event. But Doug has put it together where uh, industry goes out to this facility and does on the ground hands hands in the dirt reclamation and uh, partners with these kind of organizations and particularly the youth to to show them that hey these are these are the things that we're doing as an organization and trying to kind of break that mold or that stereotype that you know we're we're just out here uh, extracting oil extracting gas and just not caring about anything else, not participating in the communities. You know, I think from a legislative standpoint, we have we have plenty of work to do as well. While we have a lot of organizations that are paying attention to that, you know, really as a as a community coming together and ensuring our voices are heard and that we're sharing that information with the youth, with the public at large, is is really what we need to do. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of issues and a lot of uh, difficulties associated with some of that, but really, I think we have the opportunity to to make our voices heard by more community engagement, by sharing of more information and more resources, by making these small partnerships. Uh, you know, I know uh, uh, Whiting Oil and Gas up in, in North Dakota, uh, they're doing a lot for simple things like roadside trash pickup and getting the industry together to, to travel around and, uh, clean up the roads and the highways and getting our faces out there in the public and showing them who we are, uh, instead of just their perceptions of, of what we are and what we're doing and not, not seeing us, you know, we can't really sit back and play defense anymore. Um, you know, and we need to get out there, participate, interact and, and share everything that we're doing. There's just so many positive things. I, I couldn't agree in more. The industry. And if we can get out there, share them, interact with people, um, participate in youth programs. I couldn't agree more. In fact, one of the things that we've done at The Crude Life here is we've decided to take control of the conversation and the narrative once again. And, you know, again, we're, we're the little guy, you know, we, we can't do it overnight. But hopefully it's that snowball effect that if we can get enough people taking control of that narrative again, you know, it, it, this happened in the agriculture industry. It, it, people became very detached at how they eat a hamburger. 
where that came from, how it got there, yada. I mean, so this is, there is a little bit of a history to be told here, but at the same time, there is a, a new emotional uh, push against the oil and gas industry like I've, like I've never seen before. And taking control of that narrative once again is very important and it's tough to do. And listen, anybody listening out here, you know, this is just a couple guys in the industry trying to keep things moving because like like your response was, this is a big problem. The new green deal bans our industry in 10 years. And that's a that's that's like not even a real thing. That's I mean, <laughs> that to me is is I, I, I can't even fathom how that would work just from a construction standpoint, the PVC pipes alone that are made out of petroleum products. So, I mean, it's on one hand, two people are trying to have a civil conversation. On the other hand, people are talking about banning an industry that about 70 percent of the uh, society relies on. Um, so I'm anyway, so that, that you understand where I'm coming from. It's very difficult to have a sane conversation without having people throw stones at you these days. So. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, paying attention to the facts, sharing who we are, what we're doing, and, you know, staying on the rational side of the argument uh, is is where we have to be, and we'll continue to further, further our efforts. You know, we are just a couple guys from the industry here, um, but, you know, I'm, I'm an avid outdoorsman. I enjoy spending all of my time not working outside doing something and enjoying enjoying outdoors and i have a degree in environmental science and here i am you know working in industry having huge impacts on on society and having a lot of positive interactions with the public and doing doing a variety of things you know volunteering for all kinds of organizations and that's you know that's just what we need to do um the the folks in the industry are are good folks and we have a lot of uh, positive things to offer michael clancy with us eco point appreciate you coming on the program to talk a little bit about reclamation the environment also what's been going on lately in the oil and gas industry, also giving us an update on Colorado, what's been happening out there with the uh, quote-unquote ban SB 181, the ramrod. Oh, I've heard all kinds of different words for uh, for Colorado's uh, issues that's going on there. But uh, uh, go ahead and give yourself a little bit of a commercial for EcoPoint. You know, we appreciate you coming on the program and giving us this good information. Love the expert advice, the the, the boots on the ground info. Uh, talk to me. Just give yourself a little bit of a plug, uh, how people can get in touch with you, what, you know, you guys are offering, and who, you know, who's who is your customer? Great, yeah. Uh, so, like I said earlier, we're uh – we are a technology company. Um, we're geospatially focused. We have a lot of offerings. Um, most of them focus around environmental work, um, whether that's reclamation, restoration, uh, permitting, uh, a, a variety of, of different options there. But we focus on enablement of the industry through geospatial technology, um, database development, maps, uh, data recording, big data, and uh, advanced mapping and surveying procedures. So we're working with people from 
Texas all the way up to North Dakota and just about everywhere in between to, to advance the industry and really move things forward. Um, there's, there's a lot of opportunity in the industry right now and the industry being a, as technology, technologically advanced as it is, there's uh, a whole lot of improvement and uh, development that's, that's out there for companies to have and that's really what we're focused on is providing those improvements and doing them most economically and uh, advanced ways that we possibly can. What's the website? So our website is ecopoint-inc.com. That's E-C-O-P-O-I-N-T-I-N-C.com. E-C-O-P-O-I-N-T dash or hyphen, depends on how you'd like to call it, inc.com, ecopoint-inc.com. Great. Well, appreciate you coming on the program today. Yeah, thank you and have a great day.